and they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. It's ridiculous that they do it. That was a huge calling. Well, we didn't miss it. You know, the typical rah, 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 zip, boom, bye, boom. You don't cuss. You don't drink. So what are your vices? I have been known to, uh, to chew a bit of tobacco when I get a little tired or watching film. Hey, I'm Coach O. I just love my Hummer. I have my Hummer. You need a Hummer. Tell them about it, JoJo. They've won the biggest championship, and that's a championship of life. Gap control. Everybody just do your job. You understand that? Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy. Happy holiday. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Shane, but not as great as old Brew McCoy, Shane. This is a guy that we have hit on outside the SEC, but I just thought this was kind of funny. Uh, now, for those that don't remember this name, five-star receiver that signed with USC, that Southern Cal, back in January. He enrolled around January 2nd, I believe. Mm-hmm. Then by January 8th, he was off to Texas. Now... Just a couple months later, it sounds like he is in, he's going to enter the NCAA transfer portal, leaving Texas, headed back to USC. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to save the world, Mike. You know? Oh, my God. Wrong <laughs> I mean, I'm all for these guys and their freedom and everything, but it's almost getting too crazy when you're having these guys. It'll only be two schools, but it'll be the, the damn third time he's enrolled somewhere if he does leave. And I just, I'm telling I, you. I don't think there's any restrictions on him doing this either. It's going to be somebody like this guy that ruins everything. Eventually, there's going to be some cat that hits this transfer portal three or four times, and all of a sudden they say, you know what, enough's enough. They start changing rules or how often you can do it, how often school. I mean, it's going to be a guy like this that ruins it for everyone else. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right because at, at some point, at some point, it's enough is enough, but <laughs> at least he's not doing inside the conference because then I think the coaches and the administrators, you know, if someone was going back and forth between Alabama and Auburn, say, I think that's when we'd have some serious issues. Yeah, and I swear, his dad's probably like, if I got to change one more damn bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shane, so not a ton of SEC news. It'll obviously a slow time of the – of the season here on the SEC calendar, but we got a really good guest lined up here, recorded this late last week, and it's none other than Stephen Lassen, college football editor for Athlon Sports. I'm a huge fan of their preseason magazine. I've got the National Magazine as well as the SEC Magazine. Uh, So we went on a little spiel here for about 30 minutes. I tried to hit on just about every team, get his thoughts on uh, you know, the season to come and, and certain coaches and players. So uh, let's jump to our interview here with Stephen Lassen. All right. All right. We're pleased to be joined by Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports. He is the college football editor for Athlon Sports. He's jumped on our podcast previously to break down the national championship game. And you can follow him on Twitter at Athlon Stephen. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hey, Mike. Anytime. Glad to talk to you. And, uh, Sort of like Christmas in May here. We're talking college football. The magazines are on the newsstands. So I know it's the off season, but hey, at least we got something good to pass the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody enjoys the college football off season if they're a diehard fan. But you guys at Athlon, you do the rest of us a great honor by bringing out this magazine, getting us fired up for some college football. I'm just wondering if you could give us, uh, you know, a little breakdown of of what it is you guys do there at Athlon to get this thing ready. How soon do you have to work on it? And, and I mean, just how much time and effort you guys putting into putting in uh, what I think is the best college football preview magazine out there. You know, it's actually, it's actually kind of funny. We start working on the magazine at the end of one season. So let's just say the week after Thanksgiving and we have a bunch of teams that we know aren't going to go to a bowl game, their season is finished, we go ahead and start working on some of the stats for, for the, you know, the national books and the regional books. So we, we start working on the stats. I start doing what I call a team sheet for every team, which is basically you know, a page or two of notes that you need to know in order to make a prediction for the next season. And I just add to it throughout the offseason, whether that's 
you know, stats, recruiting, coaching changes, um, players leaving, players coming back. I mean, it's kind of a, a one or two page report on every team. So we start those in November. Once we get past the national championship game, that's when we really start to hone in on what kind of features are going to go in the magazine. We need a couple times to talk about them because, you know, sometimes we plan for one thing and something else pops up in, in the college football world kind of forces us to change. So we meet a couple times on that. We meet on discussing who we're going to put on our cover. By the end of January, we usually have all that kind of settled, but we're still working on some of the background stats and things like that. Then once we get past signing day, basically from signing day until the very beginning of May, it is pretty much day and night every weekend, at least for me, in terms of getting the magazine ready because we start getting stories in when teams finish spring practice. Those have to be edited and fact-checked and placed into the magazine. Meanwhile, we're working on our all-conference teams, unit rankings, um, and just kind of compiling everything. We also meet for predictions a couple times during the off-season, meet by conference, and then meet in the overall. So it goes from pretty much Thanksgiving until the start of May, and there's a lot of nights and a lot of weekends in there too. But, you know, I think the end result's a pretty cool product that, you know, at least for me as being a, a lifetime Athlon buyer before I worked there, I really enjoy getting to put it together. And, you know, I think this might be our best product just because we've got the expanded uh, national edition this year too. Yeah. Now, how about for people that don't have their Athlon preview yet, where can they get it? I got mine at Barnes & Noble, but I know you guys also have an online store. Can you fill people in on that? Yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate you asking. If you go to athlonsports.com, at the very top of the, the bar, there is a, a little link, Buy Your Magazine. If you click on that, it takes you to our online store. You can get the SEC Regional Edition and the National Edition. So, you know, I think this is perfect if you're like a, uh, you know, a Florida fan living in Ohio who wants to get the Florida cover. You can order it on our website and get any cover that you want. You should be able to pick it up at most book uh, bookstores, place, you know, grocery stores. Um, you know, those are our, our, our most likely destinations. But certainly, if you go to AthlonSports.com, the online store, we have all of them in there. If you can't find them locally at the at the grocery store or bookstore. Yeah, my favorite thing about going online, you get to pick your cover, like you were saying there. Uh, I'm such a degenerate, though. I don't have, you know, I don't want to wait an extra day. So I'm the guy that goes to the bookstore, the grocery store. I, I've been going for days, days on end until I found it. And I got my national cover. I got the West Virginia cover. For some reason, that's being sold in Nashville. But I didn't care. I still got it. And I got the, <laughs> I got the Tennessee SEC preview. So, uh, I mean, I, to me, it doesn't matter what the cover is as long as I get the magazine. But if you go online, you can get the exact cover you want. That's that's kind of a cool feature. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I think it's all when I was, you know, back in, you know, high school or, or, you know, even before then, when I would go to the newsstand and I would pick out the magazine and go, you know, uh, this is, it's, it's, I think it was Tennessee and Vanderbilt. This is cool, but, you know, there's so many superstars across college football that I may have wanted a, a USC quarterback or something on there. And, you know, I started to go to the website and, and Athlon had them all there. And that's, you know, that's the thing now. We try to give custom covers for pretty much every Power 5 team. You know, we, we are only doing an, an expanded national version, but we maintain that regional cover process through the national edition. So, you know, if you want a Colorado cover, we've got that. You know, we've got Iowa and, and, and all those teams, too. So, you know, I think that the customization is the, the cool part because if you're a fan living in Florida, you can get whatever, you, you know, West Virginia. I'm, I'm actually a little surprised the West Virginia covers on sale in Nashville. I figured that would be, you know, SEC country. But, hey, it, it's just one of the cool processes uh, of doing the magazine is having the customization and being able to get whatever cover you want. All right, Steven. So now I want to jump into the meat of the Athlon Sports Preview 2019 magazine. And what I really wanted to start with here, the top 25, we've got seven SEC teams in the top 25. And of course, no surprise at the top of the list, Alabama is Athlon's number one. And I believe that means that's, that's your guys' pick to win the national championship. Georgia at number three. How close 
is Alabama and Georgia in your mind heading into the 2019 season? You know, we, we did debate Alabama and Georgia in for the SEC championship game. And then we debated, you know, potentially what could happen in the playoff in the national championship. So I think in our mind, we look at Alabama and Clemson just a step ahead of Georgia. So if you kind of had to draw the top 10 into tiers, Alabama, Clemson, small gap to Georgia, and then a, I think a, a fairly significant gap to, to number four in Michigan. I think the difference in us, I think a lot of people are going to pick Clemson. I, I think for us, it's kind of like the Alabama revenge factor. Really hard to see Alabama losing again you know, in such a fashion like they did last season in California, Nick Saban's going to hammer that, that point all off season. So in, in our mind, we kind of went with the revenge factor. It's also kind of a historical thing when, you know, college football's national championships, it is not easy to go back to back. Alabama is the only team that's done it um, since the start of the BCS era. So we're siding with historical. Um, we also think Alabama will take a step forward by getting some guys like Trayvon Diggs back at cornerback. Terrell Lewis at linebacker, solidifying some of those defensive um, positions last season that were maybe a concern at the end of the year. And I think when you look at Georgia, really the only thing for Georgia to do under Kirby Smart is to beat Alabama, win the SEC championship, and then win the national championship. They they beat Auburn uh, for the SEC title just a few years ago. But they've had Alabama on the ropes twice and have not been able to land that knockout punch. So in our minds, they're going to get close again, but we think Alabama uh, wins the SEC and, and wins the national championship. All right, so this next glut of SEC teams in your national rankings, LSU number seven, Florida number eight, Texas A&M number ten. I think even going into the offseason, all these three teams, a lot of people had them very close together. What is it about LSU that kind of gave them a slight edge over those two? And I guess at the same time, what is it about A&M, maybe the schedule, that uh, you've got third out of those three? Yeah, you know, I think Texas A&M, it's definitely about the schedule. I think it is entirely possible that Texas A&M is a better team this year at the end of the season than they were in 2018 but the schedule is just so difficult. They, they play the top three teams in our projected rankings and still have to play you know, Auburn and Mississippi State and the other teams uh, from the SEC West. So it is not an easy schedule. On top of that, they have to play at LSU. So when we kind of broke down LSU, Florida, and Texas A&M, we, our projection said that LSU was going to beat Florida and Texas A&M. So we bumped them up to seven. I think in terms of team strength, the things to like about LSU, no question about it defensively. You know, Dave Aranda's one of the best in college football. I think Grant Delpit uh, will be one of the best defensive players in college football by the end of the season. And, you know, I think everything about LSU goes back to the offense. And we hear it almost every offseason, LSU is going to be different offensively, there's changes. I I actually buy in that this offense will be a little different this year, and I think a big reason why is Joe Burrow. I mean, maybe not the most prolific quarterback in the SEC, but efficient, and you saw what he did last season in his first year. I think they're supporting cast at receivers getting better, and I think this new offense, um, at least changing it some, will help LSU score a few more points. You know, they only lost a couple games last season, and Florida and Texas A&M were really close. So we think LSU is just a little bit better. I think Florida, like the direction under Dan Mullen, think Felipe Franks will get better, like the defense. Just think that offensive line is too big of a concern for us to pick them any closer to the playoff. And, and as I mentioned for A&M, I think they'll be better potentially like Kellen Mond, but man, that schedule is just so difficult this season, and that's why we've got him at number 10. All right, so I want to jump down to Athlon's picks, their official picks for the SEC East. No surprise, you kind of already hit on it. Georgia number one, Florida number two, Missouri number three, South Carolina number four, Tennessee number five, Kentucky number six, and Vanderbilt number seven. Uh, obviously, Georgia in the playoff discussion, 
Florida, you just hit on all their positives. But I know you guys are picking Georgia, and I, I guess if you had to make a runner-up, it would be Florida. But if for some reason those two teams stumble, which other SEC East team, because Missouri is currently ineligible, uh, could surprise and potentially make a, the trip to Atlanta if you had to pick one? Well, man, that's a great question because, you know, it's funny. In our, when we talked about the SEC East, we thought that four through seven was fairly close. You know, we, when we, you know, we, talk, when we go through our predictions, you almost kind of break them into tiers and you start uh, debating. We looked at all four of those teams, you know, even down to Vanderbilt and, and looked at is there a path to number four. I, I think you kind of have to default that South Carolina is the best team that being said, their schedule is very difficult. I mean, the fact mm-hmm. that they get Alabama and Texas A&M, and I think a lot of injuries last season, the secondary defensive front, I think they'll be a better team. It, it may not show because of the record. I, I think Tennessee's really interesting to me. I, I don't know that they're going to make the big jump to 8-4, 9-3, but I like the direction, and I think if the offensive line is just 20 30% better, I mean, with Garantano coming back, the skill talent that Tennessee has, with Jim Chaney calling the plays, you know, I think there's some reasons to be optimistic. And I think the schedule sets up favorably for Tennessee. Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt at home, I mean, that right there could get them three SEC wins, and maybe they steal one on the road. So I think if, if – Georgia or Florida doesn't get there. I, I think you know, you'd have to maybe look at a team like South Carolina just from default, but also I think Tennessee will be better this season as well. All right, let's jump to Athlon's SEC West picks. Obviously, Alabama, number one. You guys are picking them to win the entire conference. Number two, LSU. Number three, Texas A&M. Number four, Auburn. Number five, Mississippi State. Number six, Ole Miss. And number seven, Arkansas. Now, I'm not going to ask you the same question because everyone's going to have Alabama. And I think, I honestly think Alabama could even lose a game and they're still going to win the West because I just don't know if I have confidence in any of these other teams to essentially knock off Alabama and run the table the rest of the way. So I want to ask you this. If Alabama were to lose a conference game this season, uh, which of those West teams do you think are most likely to pull a upset here and beat the Crimson Tide? You know, I think you have to look at two games. I think the showdown at Texas A&M on October 12th and the, the November 30th game against Auburn, those two stand out to me. Um, you know, also, I think Alabama will beat Mississippi State. I, I always think the, the road trip after playing LSU is difficult just because it's such a physical contest. I would put that game third on, on that list of potential upsets, but it's definitely a ways down. I think when you look at Auburn, you know, to me, they are the hardest team to figure out in the SEC. They've, they've seen the highs under Gus Malzahn of going to the national championship on the cusp of doing it and making the playoff um, just a few years ago. And this team with its defensive line that we've got ranked number one in the country um, a, a pretty good overall defense in the back seven, too. You look offensively, there's skill talent. It's just going to come down to whether or not the offensive line is better and whether or not they find a quarterback. And, of course, you know they have to play Oregon. They have to play Georgia, Alabama. So their schedule is tough. But I think you, if you look for an upset this year, that A&M game in College Station and then Auburn at the end of the year, if Auburn kind of gets things together offensively, um, I think that game at the end of the year will be really interesting. All right, moving on to your guys' All-American picks. i got to ask you this, Stephen. Are you guys getting any hate mail from Athens, Georgia? Because you guys got Texas quarterback Sam Etlinger over Jake Fromm, third-team All-American. What was the thought process there? Really tough decision, and I have to be honest with you. I'll, I'll break a little news. Uh, we have Jake Fromm as our fourth team All-America quarterback. So when we post the expanded edition on the web, he will be fourth team All-America. But it, it was it was really close. I think a couple concerns for us about Jake Fromm, all very minor. New offensive coordinator, 
new group of receivers. Georgia certainly has talent. How does it all mesh together? I think when we looked at Sam Ellinger, you know, he really carried that Texas offense last season. I think he had 41 overall touchdowns, and I think we're banking on him doing that again. But certainly, if if anyone wanted to, to disagree with us on Jake Fromm and, and putting third team, I wouldn't argue at all. I think there's I think the other kind of caveat to this is there's a lot of good quarterbacks coming back. I mean, it's not just Ellinger Fromm, Justin Herbert. I mean, there's some really good names coming back to, to college football this year. Sounds like all that hate mail from Athens is paying off, fans. Keep keep writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. One other thing that you that you really had here uh, centered on quarterbacks. Most interesting quarterback battle this offseason. Uh, you believe it's the Auburn quarterback battle, obviously down to true freshman Bo Nix and redshirt freshman Joey Gatewood. Why do you have that listed as your uh, most interesting quarterback battle? You know, I think when you look at Auburn, they they, they enter, enter the season in such a fascinating spot. You know, Gus Malzahn is, is, is probably on the hot seat. There was the, the ongoing you know, rumors, discussion about the contract, the buyout, and all that last season. And with the fact that Gus Malzahn is taking things into his own hands by being his offensive coordinator, play caller this season, I think there's just a lot of things that line up to me. And, you know, you add in the hot seat factor, the difficult schedule, and the, you know, the just the kind of randomness that Auburn has produced. That's why I think this is the most interesting battle because, you have Joey Gatewood and Bo Nix, two very talented quarterbacks and two kind of different quarterbacks. Nix is a better thrower. Gatewood's a better runner. They open the game with the season with Oregon. I'm fascinated just to see how do they use these two because if or if if Auburn finds the right quarterback, you know they could be you know they should be three and zero going into Texas A&M and then they still have to play Florida before the midpoint of the season. So this quarterback battle will really help kind of define where Gus Malzahn is, I think, in his hot seat status by midseason or even at the end of the year. All right, another one that I really wanted to ask you. Athlon's listed out which top 10 team scares you the most. Your answer was Texas A&M. What scares you about the Aggies there? I think I like Texas. I think I guess maybe the easiest way to describe it is when we look at Texas A&M at the end of the season in some of the advanced analytics, um, I, I think they'll rank probably the top eight to ten teams in college football. But I think from an from a ranking standpoint, it would not surprise me if they're closer to fifteen or twenty at the end of the year. Uh, offensively, I like Kellen Mond, pretty good supporting cast. We'll see how uh, Deshaun Corbin steps in for Travion Williams, see how the offensive line develops. And, and as I mentioned, I think their defense will be fine at the end of the year, but their secondary struggled. Their front seven has a lot of new faces. So, you know, they, they, were, they got to that nine-win level, and I think the, the question is with, with these personnel losses in a very difficult schedule, can they finish in the top ten? And, and I'm not so sure. I, I think there's probably a chance they might be a little bit overvalued in our preseason rankings, but if you look ahead to next year with all the juniors and underclassmen on this roster, I think they've got a chance to be pretty good. They just may not take that step forward like our ranking would suggest. All right, best non-conference game, your selection, LSU at Texas in week two. Do you think that this game could factor into the college football playoff? You know, if let's say Alabama wins the SEC, if LSU were to go on the road and beat Texas, that would be a you know a heck of a resume booster. I would I would imagine it really would. And, and you know, something that I haven't seen a ton of talk about this this off season, and you know, we still have a long ways to go, so we may see it. But what would happen to an eleven and one LSU team? that only loses to Alabama, but beats Texas on the road. And I think it's a pretty interesting resume. And, and of course, a lot of things have to happen. We'll see what happens with Georgia. But this game is huge for both teams. It's, it's huge for, for college football to have two potential top 10 teams playing this early. We'll find out about LSU's offense. 
we'll find out about Texas too. I mean, Tom Herman has a reputation of winning these type of games that he's an underdog in and, you know, a lot of new faces for Texas too. So we'll get a pretty early barometer test for where both teams are. And I think it could matter in terms of playoff resume really for both teams at the end of the year. Now, Athlon's listed out a couple teams here, teams on the rise. You kind of hit on this already, maybe get a little bit more thought on it, but Tennessee listed as a team on the rise. What about Jeremy Pruitt's program is uh, Athlon see them as a team on the rise? You know, I, I think when I look at Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and I see some of those, you know, like you know, the, the Saban tree of, of assistants, I, I look at Jeremy Pruitt and, and see a guy who is just, he's driven, motivated, and you know that the drive to be great is there. And he's starting to see that he's laying the foundation at Tennessee, and he's relentless. And I don't think he's going to take his foot off the pedal like some of the other coaches at Tennessee in the past have done. I also think he would be very good at developing talent. I think that's one thing that Tennessee has not had is they've been able to recruit good players, but if you can't develop them, then it's really hard to stay in the top 25 and be an SEC title contender. So I'm taking the long view of Tennessee that I think looking ahead this year, they're going to be better. Much of it is going to depend on the offensive line. I'm a little concerned about their defensive line too, but I love this secondary with Thompson, Taylor, Nigel Warrior coming back. I think that could be one of the SEC's better secondaries by the end of the year. Garantano took a step forward last year. He'll benefit from Jim Chaney coming in. And I think as we go ahead in 2020, 2021, Jeremy Pruitt's only going to recruit good talent and he's going to continue to develop it. So we've got Tennessee finishing number 47 nationally, 7-5 overall. If you told me they finished closer to top 40 and maybe 8-4, I wouldn't disagree at all. I think Jeremy Pruitt's the right coach at the right time to get Tennessee back on track. Now, unfortunately, on the flip side, team on the decline, one of the teams listed is from the SEC, Kentucky, obviously losing a ton of talent this offseason. Is that kind of uh, a, a reason why Athlon's got Kentucky as a team on the decline? Yeah, it does. You know, I think the, the biggest thing for Kentucky, 10-3 uh, last season, maybe a little fortunate to get there. You know, you think about the Missouri game and, and the game they, they probably should have lost. And they're losing Benny Snell and Josh Allen, um, two guys that were not only great players, but instrumental in terms of leadership, building the program foundation. I think they're going to be missed. I think, I think Mark Stoops has done an, a, a nice job of, of raising the floor at Kentucky. You know, they're not going to go from 10 and 3 to 4 and 8. I think they're more likely to fall between 6 and 7 wins. But I think with Tennessee getting better. Um, you know, I, I look at that South Carolina game. It's a huge contest for South Carolina. That South Carolina needs to beat Kentucky to, to have any chance of, of finishing in the top 25 this year. So I think a lot of things with the East getting, the bottom of the East getting better. I think losing uh, Snell and Allen will hurt. But the biggest storyline to me for Kentucky is Terry Wilson. Um, you know, he was inconsistent last year. You've seen flashes of the potential. Can he put it all together this season and take a step forward? Because if he does, Kentucky could finish right there in that 8-4 range once again. If he struggles with the personnel losses they have, we think, which is what we think happens, they probably finish uh, closer to 6-6 six and six this year. Now one team we've not really mentioned here, Ole Miss, under Athlon's top coordinator hires, number two nationally, the hire of Rich Rodriguez, at offensive coordinator. We all know the resume there. Uh, what about that coordinator hires got Athlon so impressed? Yeah, I think it's it's a great timing on Ole Miss's part, first of all, because they are losing so much talent at receiver. Uh, Jordan Ta'amu is gone, uh, not to mention some losses on the offensive line. So they're starting over, I think, at the right point. And you look at Matt Corral, stepping in at quarterback, some potential there. I think his ability to, to be able to move a little bit in the pocket and Rich Rodriguez's experience developing similar quarterbacks 
will pay dividends. Um, you know, I think Scotty Phillips too chance to get to a thousand yards. This just looks like a good combination of quarterback, running back potential, and Rich Rodriguez has a track record. We've seen it at Arizona, seen some potential of that at Michigan, and of course West Virginia. He's one of the brighter minds in, in terms of X's and O's and, and building offenses. And I think it's it's huge for, for Matt Luke, too, because he now has two former head coaches as coordinators. And as you're trying to build up a program, um, these kind of moves can pay off. We do have Ole Miss finishing sixth in the SEC West. I will say I'm probably a little bit higher on Arkansas than my colleagues in the conference. But one of these teams you know, could maybe sneak into a bowl game if everything breaks right this year. Okay, final thing I wanted to get your thoughts on here quarterback transfers you know kind of notable ones athlon is listed out here first kelly bryant playing for missouri gonna play under Derek dooley we i think he did a, a tremendous job with drew Locke last year what about kelly bryant going to missouri uh, do you think um you know obviously there's i don't know if a step down is the right word but just how will they missouri offense look without drew Locke for the first times in in ages it's going to be really interesting because when you think about Drew Locke's skill set and that he was so good at being able to push the ball downfield, and you look at Kelly Bryant, you know the, the biggest knock on him at Clemson was they needed Trevor Lawrence to start to open up some of that downfield passing ability. So I think you'll see a little bit different of an offense. I think you'll see more kind of a short to mid-range passing game and utilizing his ability to run. So I think he's going to have, uh, you know, I think you know, maybe not an all-SEC caliber season, but I think he's going to be one of the probably top 20 to 25 quarterbacks in college football. A lot of good skill talent, too, from Missouri, and that eases the transition, I, I think, for Kelly Bryant. So we're pretty optimistic uh, about Kelly Bryant and Missouri, the fact that we've got him finishing in the top 25 in a year where, we don't know if they have anything to play for as their appeal on, you know, continues to, to go on. At this point, it looks like we've got Missouri finishing 23 and 8-5 overall with no bowl. But a lot of that based upon we think Kelly Bryant makes a big impact this year. All right, final thing here. you got both Arkansas quarterbacks listed here as, as quarterback transfers to watch. Ben Hicks from SMU, Nick Starkle from Texas A&M. I think everyone's kind of – Forgotten a little bit about Starkle. That's the guy I like after watching these two. I think he's more talented. And when Jimbo got to A&M, it was all Starkle, Starkle, Starkle. How's he, how is he going to get the most out of this guy? And, of course, we all know by now it's Kellen Mond that was actually the quarterback there. But uh, what do you think about Arkansas going from, you know, I think one of the worst quarterback situations in the SEC last year to one of the best if you want to talk about experience and, and some talent from these two signal callers. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, one of the, one of the, you know, it's always funny when you do research on quarterbacks and we did some quarterback rankings on the website a few weeks ago. And I was just scrolling through the active leaders in touchdown passes. And the fact that, if you take out McKenzie Milton because he's not going to play this year, Ben Hicks has the most touchdown passes of uh, active quarterbacks in college football. Sort of surprised me, but it, it makes sense based upon how much he played at SMU. And I think you're absolutely right in the fact that Chad Morris has significantly improved the quarterback depth chart there. Both Nick Starkle and Ben Hicks give this Arkansas team a chance to get the four or five wins this season. I think right now you have to give the edge to Hicks just because he was in spring practice. He is familiar with this offense from spending time at SMU under Chad Morris. But I'll be honest, I think Nick Starkle is the most talented quarterback on this roster. And he really never got a chance to show that at Texas A&M because he got hurt one year. And then Kellen Mond just took off in his development. So I think it's probably likely that Ben Hicks starts the year, but I think Nick Starkle ends up as the starter just because he's more talented. And I think he can give this Arkansas offense a little bit of a, of a jump start for the passing game. So I, I expect Arkansas will be better this season. Maybe not enough to get the six wins, but I think Chad Morris has them on the right path. 
All right, so terrific stuff there from Stephen Lassen, of course, the college football editor for Athlon Sports. You can follow him at Athlon Stephen. If you haven't gotten your Athlon Sports 2019 college football preview, do it now. Go to the website. Go to the Barnes & Noble. Go to the grocery store. It's everywhere. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us and dropping all this knowledge. We really appreciate it. Hey, Mike, anytime. Always good to talk to you. Hope we can do it again soon. All right, Shane. So, I mean, this guy is like a damn college football encyclopedia. I, I love having this guy on. He really knows his stuff more than just about anyone out there. What was your main takeaway from just the knowledge he dropped here? Oh, fantastic, man. I'd, I'd love to just pick his brain. Is How long has this Athlon magazine been coming out? Do you know? I mean, I can't remember the first time it came out. Uh, honestly, I think that's been out for like 50-something years. I think last year was the 50th anniversary, so probably 51 years. I mean, and that's something that some of these younger kids don't appreciate. You know what I'm saying? I mean, before internet, before you had you know the internet right there on your phone, it was the Athlon magazine coming out. That was like... I don't know, just got the juice going there in the summertime. So you wanted to see how you ranked up, uh, you know, maybe some players that you weren't thinking was going to be contributors, maybe on a national stage you're looking at it. It's just, you know, I I, I hope that sales haven't gone down because of the internet, but the Athlon was always just like a focal piece for me growing up. I don't know about you, man. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's how I spent uh, the latter half of my summers always. And, uh, I mean, I've got the magazine now, like I said, I'm reading it cover to cover. I'm, I'm in the process of doing that, but it's just, it's almost like a national holiday for the college football off season because, mm-hmm. you know, it's so long, but uh, it definitely gets us fired up for the upcoming season. And, Absolutely. And that's when I wanted to ask you just on Athlon's picks here. So we, I mentioned it here during the interview with Steven Lassen, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Shane. Not necessarily asking you for an, uh, you know, your predictions at this point, but I'm going to run down Athlon's picks for the SEC East, and then we'll do the SEC West. I just want to get your thoughts on it. But okay. Athlon is predicting Georgia to go 12 and one overall, eight zero in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Florida finished number two in the East with a 10 and two record and six and two in conference. Missouri number three at eight and four and four and four in the conference play. South Carolina, number four, six and six overall, three and five in conference play. Number five, Tennessee, seven and five overall, and three and five in conference play. Number six, Kentucky, with a six and six record. And number seven, Vanderbilt, with a five and seven record. And both Kentucky and Vanderbilt, two and six in the SEC, projected by Athlon. Uh, Any of that jump out to you? Well, uh, Tennessee has more wins on this thing, so I think they should be fourth. Just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. You said seven and five is what they had them at. Uh, the Florida Missouri one mm-hmm. uh, is probably the one that stands out to me the most, just because I think Florida's going to have a great team. I think Missouri's going to have a great team, but I think Missouri has even greater scheduling. So, I, I mean, I was looking at, I don't see four losses. So I think those could go either way there. Uh, the rest of them, though, pretty spot on, in my opinion. Yeah, and, you know, they don't go week by week with their wins and losses in the magazine that I see here. So the only thing I'm thinking with this South Carolina-Tennessee, they must have South Carolina beating Tennessee, mm. but the two still having three and five SEC records. That's that's the only way I can I can figure, wrap my head around that one. But, okay. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Kentucky is going to drop to six and six. I don't know. I mean, uh, this this is this is. A, I mean, we could just certainly go down yeah. a rabbit hole here. But Tennessee is seven wins. I don't. I don't know. I think they could. They could potentially do better than that. They may not even get that high. Um. Uh, I think these are fine. I think Florida, Florida, Missouri, South Carolina. I think you can flip them around in any order, and mm-hmm. and I don't think that's unrealistic. Uh, but I certainly don't think anyone can beat uh, Georgia in the SEC East standings this season. No, no, I agree. All right, let's look at the West here, Shane. Number one, Alabama, perfect 13-0 record with 8-0, obviously, in conference. LSU, number two, at 10-2 and 6-2 and and in the SEC. Number three, Texas A&M, 8-4, 5-3 in the SEC. Number four, Auburn, 7-5 overall, 3-5 in the SEC. Mississippi State, number five, at 7-5, 3-5 in the conference, same as Auburn. And then Ole Miss and Arkansas both projected to go five and seven overall, but Ole Miss two and six in conference play, Arkansas one and seven. Anything mm-hmm. there stand out? 
Um, Auburn, Mississippi State. Um, I, I I think that a lot of people are giving these guys some praise and credit coming in. I think they're just – I don't know if they're basing it off last year or, or the talent returning, maybe Auburn's defense. I just I, – I think that's a little too high for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Alabama. Let me let me ask you here. They they've got Alabama going undefeated. Out of all these teams in the West, if you had to pick one team to upset Alabama, who's it going to be? I think it would probably be LSU. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't rule out Texas A and M. I wouldn't even rule out you know if everything goes right for Auburn, they're getting Alabama at home. I know you're mm-hmm. you're down on Auburn, but. You know, sometimes the break goes, all the breaks go their way. If that happens, I could see that. And I'll even throw Mississippi State in there. I certainly wouldn't predict it. Uh, Mississippi State's lost 11 in a row to Alabama, but they are the ones this year that gets Alabama the the week immediately after LSU. And mm-hmm. Alabama typically, you know, they're kind of they're kind of just take a take a beating in that LSU game. They always beat LSU, but it's a tough physical game. <laughs> and we've seen in years past when Mississippi State catches Alabama in Starkville after that LSU game, they give them their a run for the money. So uh, I, I just I don't think I know it's hard hard to envision this because Alabama's been so damn dominant lately. But I just don't think this is going to be that dominant of an Alabama team. Mm-mm. So that's why I think there's a, several of these teams, if they have an A-plus game, uh, I think they can really test Alabama next year. That, that's kind of why I'm leaning toward LSU. I just think Alabama's going to be a little bit weaker on the defense side of the ball. And I just think, man, if you haven't watched some some videos, if you haven't watched a spring game of this LSU team, I'm telling you, it is a, it's not the LSU team from the past. And, and I think they could catch a team like Alabama, you know, on their heels. And it, who knows, it could be a little bit of a shootout, which you wouldn't expect to see between an Alabama-LSU game, but uh, it, it could be that way. So if I had to pick one, I'm with you. I think it's going to be LSU. Uh, Texas a and I, I think they're probably the, if you were to ask me, the third best team in the SEC. It's just I, I think that schedule is just going to be too, too tough. And I know you don't like to look at schedules, but – uh, they got some doozies on there, man. All right, final thing I wanted to hit on real quick here, Shane. Athlon has ranked the SEC jobs, and this is uh, ranking nationally, so not even you know in the SEC, but just in the entire country. And they got Georgia number one, Alabama number two, Florida number five, LSU number 10, Texas A&M number 12, Auburn number 15, Tennessee number 16, South Carolina 23, Arkansas 27, Ole Miss 28, Mississippi State 35, Missouri 40, Kentucky 45, and number 65, Vanderbilt. Now mm. let me let me throw this one at you, Shane. Let me know if you think this is crazy. LSU, which Athlon has ranked number 10, I can make the case that LSU could be the number one job in the nation right now. Uh, you think so? And I'll tell uh, you, over over Georgia and over Bama. I'll tell you why, Shane. Because while California, Texas, and Florida, and now Georgia, you know you you put you always put those states ahead when you're talking about recruiting all the best players. Not all the best players, but they have a, a higher concentration of elite players. Mm-hmm. But Ella, uh, Louisiana is not that far behind, and the difference there with Louisiana, if you from Louisiana and LSU wants you, there's about a 90% chance you go going to LSU. So they have that entire state on lockdown, whereas mm-hmm. no one can do that in California, Texas, Florida, or Georgia. And I just think with all the support with Death Valley, you know, they are just so desperate for someone to beat Alabama. Yeah. I think if you go in there and you – if you're the guy that can beat Alabama – They'll basically build a damn statue outside the stadium to you. They'll give you a lifetime contract. You know, you're, yeah. you're catching Alabama on the downswing, in my opinion, because Nick Saban, I mean, he's going to he's gonna decline at some point. And, mm-hmm. and with that recruiting in that state, if they – I mean, all they the only missing piece there, Shane, they've had Coach O and, and Les Miles, you know, <laughs> in some of the worst coaching years of his life, and they're still winning nine, ten games. I think if you're a solid coach and you can identify a quarterback, I think that could quickly, quickly turn into uh, the top job in the nation. Am I crazy? Uh, not crazy, but I mean, if you're just looking 
just solely off recruits. Mm-hmm. I, it, it'd be hard for me to go against Georgia. I mean, granted, Georgia Tech is in the state of Georgia, but they're not competition. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I just – I think I would – if I'm just looking strictly at recruiting, I could see Georgia, then LSU. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe even – I would even throw Texas A&M up there because Texas does have a large concentration. I know Texas is in that state, but SEC does have a lot of pool, you know. So, uh, I, I think if you're looking at it that way, I'm going to go Georgia – LSU, A&M, and then Florida. And here comes the train for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, damn, is it already that time? Uh, All right, Chad, I just wanted to throw that out there. And then uh, how about on Tennessee at number 16? Do you think that's fair, or do you think uh, Tennessee is is a better job or not as a good job? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that being a big Tennessee homer. Yeah, I think I think that's extremely fair with what, what what product we put on the field the last ten years. You know, I just think that's a good spot. I think we could move up. I think Auburn can move up. I really, if if this if this list would have came out ten years ago, it'd be totally different. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I just right. I think Auburn's you know has had a bad run. Tennessee's of course had a bad run. Um, uh, even Florida, it surprises me. You know, yeah, granted they had a great year last year. Uh, but you know, it's been a minute since they've been, you know, running the table in the nineties. So, uh, that's another one that I think could be even higher up the list. Yeah. You make a good point. Cause we got South Carolina right here at 23, you know, before Spurrier got in there, they're probably looking at a ranking like Vanderbilt down at 65. And yeah. I, I mean, it's been several years since Spurrier's great run there at South Carolina, but if they can capture that again, I mean, I, I mean, he turned that into a top 15 program pretty quickly. So uh, a lot of these programs have the potential to turn into that. Yeah. All right, Shane. So I hit on it previously. Not a lot of news. I want to get these quick little hitters in. Uh, then we'll jump off the pod here. But Gigamax. Ole Miss AD Ross Bjork jump ship to College Station, Shane. I couldn't believe this for the simple fact that uh, I couldn't believe Texas A&M wanted to hire this guy. What, what were your <laughs> thoughts when you saw Ross jump from Ole Miss? I mean, it's it's a smart move for him, but I'm trying to figure out why the Aggies went in this direction. Well, I posted it, man. I was like, how about, no, you crazy Dutch bastard. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, saw, I, I saw a lot of fans torn, man. They just, I don't know. I don't think they wanted him. And, and granted, he, he did some pretty impressive things with what he had against him down there. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I don't know. I mean, money's not an option down there. I don't think. I think we're. I think we're moving a little too quick here. Um, I don't. I, I don't understand why we pulled the trigger so soon. But um, apparently, there was some some higher people in play here that had connections. So it, it just seems more like an inside job, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. So I. I I mean, now that he's there, let's love him, you know. I'm hoping for A&M's sake that this was Jimbo Fisher's pick because if it was. Then I'm fine with it, but otherwise, not a fan. I mean, Ole Miss football has, has been in a, in a down state lately, and this is a guy that, uh, you know, he was ready to fight to the death for Hugh Freeze for years and years and mm-hmm. in the face of so many, you know, violations that were proven. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden the sex scandal comes out and, he, and he's out, Hugh Freeze is out the door, and Ross Bjork, does, he didn't take any heat from that that I saw much nationally. I mean, this is a guy that gets into it with Mississippi State fans on Twitter, which, I don't know, I don't really think you want your athletic director to be doing stuff like that personally. Um, And the the thing I hear about Ross Bjork that he is doing well is, you know, he generates revenue, but a lot of that revenue generated by Ole Miss is coming from the SEC network, so I think he's getting credit for that. And last time I checked, Shane, Texas A&M does not necessarily need help raising money. Oh. Uh, as long as the football program, you know, turns around and continues to do well, they they could put me in there and I'll, I could raise some money, you know? Absolutely, man. They don't need another booster, you know? Exactly. It just seems like they need somebody to, to keep their foot on the gas. Uh, with, I mean, you go back with stadium renovations, the facilities upgrades, the, the money they're throwing at coaches – it's moving in the right direction. If you want to be a dominant force in the West, that's what you got to do. And I don't want to see any of that come off. If this guy comes in there and starts, you know, 
putting putting limitations on the coaching staff or on on finances toward the football facilities i mean that's when again you start creating that gap so i just want to see somebody come in there not take their foot off the gas and just you know because they're almost there man they're knocking on the door Mm-hmm. Uh, sticking with A&M, Shane, I, I do want to have this note. I'm not trying to pick on the Aggies. i got some good news here for the Gigum Nation there. But Elijah Blades, the number one junior college cornerback, he announced that he has enrolled. He made the grades to get into College Station. That's pretty big for the Aggies because uh, while Mike Elko did a lot of, of great things for that defense last year, the secondary was an issue so you got to think the number one cornerback in the nation is going to come in and can at least contribute, if not start. I don't know if he's going to be starting, but I know he's going to be playing and playing early. This is a guy that uh, Oregon wanted him, Tennessee wanted him. I believe Georgia and Alabama also offered him. So uh, good news for the Aggies' defense with Elijah Blades getting into school. And then jumping over to South Carolina, Gamecocks just got a big commit on Monday on Memorial Day, Marshawn Lloyd. The number mm-hmm. six running back in the nation. This is the highest rated running back to ever commit to South Carolina under Will Muschamp. Uh, these are the the recruiting battles that uh, Will Muschamp needs to win to turn this thing around. Dude, Marshawn Lloyd is a beast. You th- I think he'll be a five-star before, before it's all said and done, don't you? Yeah, I mean, he's right on the cusp of that. And, you know, this is a guy that with Alabama, Georgia, Penn State, Ohio State after. I mean, this is a guy that everybody wanted. And... Uh, you know, I think he could be a day one starter there for the Gamecocks. I mean, this this is potentially huge news for for Will Muschamp and company. Oh, dude, yeah, he he is on cloud nine right now. This, I, I'm not big. Like, I'm gonna just let you know, I'm not big on watching like recruit videos, recruit hop videos, or anything like that. But this cat came across my Twitter line not too long ago, and I was just blown away. I mean, this guy is so damn fast. I'm like agility 99. So, (laughs) (laughs) South Carolina, I mean, they better be sending a coach to his house every week because this guy is going to be special. And and the fact that he was able to pull him out, I mean, everybody was going after him. I think uh, Penn State thought they had a a shot at getting this guy. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is going to be somebody special and somebody you can build a team around. So, uh, that's a good get for South Carolina. All right, Shane, so that is all the news that we got. We got we're going to close on a somber note, so before we get to that, just want to remind everyone that uh, rating and reviews on iTunes, that help us out a lot, so anyone that wants to throw that our way, we really appreciate it. You can follow mm-hmm. us on Twitter, on Instagram, on a Reddit page, all under that SEC podcast, so any support or even just following us, that really helps all those social media things out there. Well, also, I, I do want to, point out that it is memorial day we you know appreciate everybody all the listeners that maybe uh maybe in the service or or got family that was in the service honoring all the people that died while serving in the united states armed forces so uh you know just be safe a lot of people think it's just about grilling out but you know it's a very special day and uh i just i just appreciate everyone's service yeah we certainly do we both come from military families so uh, that's definitely not lost on us so that's an important note. I appreciate you pointing that out, Shane. But uh, we did want to close on uh, you know, the tragic news there from Auburn where play-by-play man Rob Bramplett and his wife Paula, they died in a car accident. Uh, some, you know, Obviously tragic news there. And uh, I did want to note that there is a GoFundMe page. Anyone wants to help out Rod and Paula's family, they have a daughter that's going to Auburn and they have a son that's still in high school. And uh, the Auburn family, Shane, they've raised over $80,000 for these kids already. Mm. Uh, so if you go to GoFundMe.com, Rod and Paula Bramplett Family Memorial Fund, you can find that information as a worthy cause. And, uh, you know, we're not going to have any music to close this out, but I thought it would be a nice tribute here to Rod Bramblett to uh, just close out on, on some of his best calls there at Auburn. I kind of I went in chronological order, so... A lot of lot of uh, Cam Newton games here, the national championship, and of course, uh, you know that magical run Auburn made with the prayer Jordan Hare and the kick six. That's what all this is, and uh, we'll throw up a video tribute to this uh, as well on the Reddit page. But I uh, just wanted to go out with this note. First down and ten from the 46. McCaleb now in there. They'll fake the handoff. Newton keeps it, avoids one man at midfield. 45, 40, 35, 30. There goes Cam. 15, 10, 5, dives. Touchdown, Auburn! 
46 yards. Wow. First down and 10 from just inside of midfield. Here's Cam on the fake, right up the middle, breaks a tackle at the 40, stays on his feet, 35-30, 25-20. Peterson, the one man to beat at the five. He is in. Touchdown, Auburn. Flash that smile, Cam. Tigers lead. Wow. Ball just inside the seven. Third down and about three. Tigers down by six. Fannin in the backfield with Newton. Cam takes the snap. Looking for the receiver. He's got Lutzen Kirkin. Touchdown, Auburn! Touchdown, Auburn! Lutzen Kirkin. He threw it back across the field. Seven-yard play. Touchdown, Tigers! We're tied at 27. Josh Harris to snap it to Neil Caudle. There it is. Byram kicks it. And it is good for the first time today. Auburn leads 28-27. That 24-point deficit. A distant memory with 11.55 to go in the football game. The Tigers have the lead. Crowd, the Auburn crowd on their feet in the north end zone. Here's your ball game. McCarron drops back. Throws, and it is incomplete. Nico Thorpe broke it up at the 25-yard line. Intended for Julio Jones. Auburn's going to win. Auburn is going to win. Byron waits for the snap in the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And now. Here in the desert, Auburn's journey is complete. 53 years of waiting, of hoping, of dreaming, of coming so close. It's all over. The Auburn Tigers are on top of the college football world. And the view from up here is sheer perfection. Auburn 22, Oregon 19. The Tigers are BCS National Champions. All right, here we go. Fourth and 18 for the Tigers. Here's your ball game. Nick Marshall stands in, steps up. He's got to throw downfield. Just a home run ball, and uh, it is tipped off. And Lewis going on the deflection. Lewis is going to score. Lewis is going to score. Lewis is going to score. Touchdown, Auburn. Touchdown, Auburn. A miracle at Jordan Hare. A miracle at Jordan Hare. 73 yards. Seven seconds to go in the football game. Clock starts again. Auburn on the move again. First and ten. This time it'll be Marshall on the keeper. And then he throws. Oh, he's got coach at the 20, to the 10, to the 5. Touchdown, Auburn. Touchdown, Auburn. Razzle-dazzle from Gus Malzahn. He had Uzama and nobody around him. 39 yards. I don't believe it. I do not believe it. 32 seconds to go. Cyrus Jones bit on the Marshall run. And then Nick dumped it over the top. Holy cow, Sammy Coates scores. Chris Davis is going to drop back into the end zone in single safety. Well, I guess if this thing comes up short, he can field it and run it out. All right, here we go. 56-yarder. It's got, no, does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the missed field goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Holy cow. Oh, my God. Auburn wins. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl in the most unbelievable.
unbelievable fashion you will ever see. I cannot believe it. 34, 28. And we thought a miracle at Jordan Hare was amazing. Oh, my Lord in heaven. Chris Davis just read it. 109 yards. And Auburn is going to the championship game. You got plans next week, my friend. days have I seen anything like that do you say this is the most epic iron bowl in history oh my goodness they're storming the field they can't let them off they can't be denied hats off to the replay booth because without that overturn Chris Davis would never have had that opportunity and as hard as they're going to try they're not keeping this bunch of Auburn fans off this field tonight I can't believe it 100 yards 100 yards can you believe it I still can't believe it oh my goodness my friend do you have plans for next weekend I'll tell you what (laughs) last one out turn the lights off Lock the gates, and we'll see you in Atlanta. Hey, I know some folks I'd like to join at Toomer's Corner. What do you think? Do you think there'll be anybody over there tonight? Because we're going to celebrate, my friend. To the wee hours of the morning. War Eagle, everybody. 34-28. The Tigers are SEC Western Division champions. And Chris Davis is the hero. Unlikely as it may be. Tigers win 34-28.